0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Below Average Joe's MMA podcast. We're here for a special, special Wednesday edition. And that means the Reddit roundtable is back, baby.
1: Back again.
0: Mm-hmm. Back so back, soon. Back like it never left. Right. It's only for been those 12 days. You, <laughs> those of you that don't know this concept, me and Dominic have scoured the web. We have looked through. Reddit, obviously, hence the name, but also Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube comment section, everything in between to find your questions. yes, you listening right now, you go take your clothes out of the dryer and they 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 need to be redried, they need to be put through another cycle. they're not dry enough. your clothes are gonna smell anyways i'm a I'm a bit confused. <laughs> I know who I'm t- I'm talking to, to to that person. That's right Jeff, go go do yep. your laundry.
1: Jeff, yeah. Anyways. You heard him.
0: Anyways. Yeah, so what just happened? We just we get all of those questions, compile them in a list and uh, we get to talk to him in this format, an open format where me and Dominic just go back and forth and give our thoughts on the the hot topics among the MMA community um this is uh the fifth time we're doing this or sixth time i can't really remember now something like that and um, we're starting to get up there so this <laughs> is something i've been a a big fan of since we started it and um happy to do it a little bit quicker turnaround this time so uh more questions that'll be i guess current uh, today but a lot of questions that kind of kind of give us uh, give you guys an idea of what we think in terms of the history of MMA a lot of a lot of big scoping questions here. So um, before we get into it, though, I just got to ask Dominic because, uh, you know, I can't go an episode without asking him how his day's going.
1: My day is going really well. No, I had a, a nice uh, shift at the Y today. It's mm-hmm. fun to stay at the YMCA, right? Everybody knows that. Um, but yeah, I mean, just rest and relaxing. Uh, got a big article coming out this week. If I can toot my own horn, worked on that mm-hmm. some day. I'm just going to let everybody know. We got a big pay-per-view coming up this weekend. All right. UFC 266. If you're listening, of course, on the 22nd, that is, if you're listening a month from now, sorry, you missed it. Well, you can still go read my article. Anyway, (laughs) I'm previewing the featherweight title fight between Alexander Volkanovsky and Brian Ortega. It's one of my personal most anticipated title fights of the year. One of the biggest fights I've gotten to had the privilege of writing about. So it'll be coming out this week. Keep an eye out for that. Had to toot my own horn. Noah, I hope your day's been going well as well. Yes.
0: Yes. Yes. So I have a, I have a fun story to share about work today. So I, I went into the office as, as I've maybe mentioned or just talked to Tom about Um, working from home is not really in in the cards anymore. Uh, Mm -hmm. My, my, my place of work is having us go back. Uh, If you're working full time there, you have to work at least three days in the office a week. So, uh two days can be remote. One of those are supposed to be Fridays. So since I'm working part-time now with classes, I work Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Monday, Wednesday in office, Friday ah. at home. So not too bad. But I went in today. Um when I was or I guess when I left to go to work, I noticed, uh shit, there was like a, a, a 12 pack of Bud Light Limes in my floorboard. And I'm like, and that one of my friends left in my car, and I'm like. Uh it'll be fine. So I get to work, leave him in there, whatever. But when I'm leaving, I go to my car and there's a guy like getting out of his car right next to me. Oh boy. And he he's like some older guy. I mean, this dude's probably in his fifties or something. And he looks at me and he's like, he kind of chuckles. And um he's like, Yeah, this place tempts me sometimes too. <laughs> and I, it didn't click at first. I was like, okay, you have a good day, sir. But then when I got in the car and I looked down again, I'm like, oh shit, he (laughs) probably saw the Bud Light Limes. But I also, then I thought about it more and I'm like, I don't really know what he was getting at there. I don't know what he thought I was doing, but um, you know, shout out to that guy because that guy made this day just a little bit more, a little less ordinary, I guess. He's going to get
1: you in trouble for drinking on the job.
0: Well, let's hope not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> For everyone listening, Noah did not drink on the job. Yeah, okay, it was uh, a joke. Everybody <laughs> laugh. Okay, gosh,
0: yeah, Jeff, Tough crowd, go get your clothes out of the damn dryer.
1: Gee, man. Anyways,
0: so let's just hop right in, Dominic. Yeah,
1: we need to come. We on.
0: got we got ten topics to get into here. So, number one, we had a pretty big debut happening in the UFC pretty recently. Patty Pimblett. You know, yeah. one of those European stars that, you know, the Europeans, they really latch on to these guys and make them their debuts feel like such big deals. Conor McGregor, Darren Till, guys like that. Michael Bisping, you know, back mm-hmm. in the day. Stuff like that. So, Patty Pimplet being the next in that kind of lineage there. Um, because of that, the question's been proposed that who has the greatest debut of all time hmm. in terms of MMA, in terms of in the UFC, Yeah. Who is it, Dominic?
1: Okay. So, when I, what I like to do on these roundtables, just to make things easier on us for discussions and controversy, whatever clicks in my head first is usually going to be the idea or the thing I say. So, when I read this question on our glorious Reddit Roundtable Google Doc, I thought of two names. The other shall remain nameless in the event Noah chooses that person. So, my. Best, greatest UFC debut of all time. I got to go and be a fanboy here for a second, Noah, because I'm going Anderson the Spider Silva way back in the day. What was it, 05 or 06? It's been a long time. But little Dom, seven or eight years old whenever the time came, just watching the Spider go to work. This guy that had been fighting across the, the globe in China, Japan, Brazil, and he comes into the UFC relatively unknown because at this time, There weren't too many hardcore fans like there are today. It was a relatively casual game still, especially in that Ultimate Fighter era that had just began to pull in. A lot of people that are now hardcore fans, here we are on this podcast, but I digress. And Anderson Silva comes in and dismantles Chris Lieben, made it look like he was an amateur in that bout. His incredible Muay Thai striking, his clinch work, his kicks, his hands, everything was flawless in that performance. And what's even better is when you look at that debut and what it catapulted Anderson Silva into, one of the greatest fighters we've ever seen, he goes right into a title fight against Rich Franklin, who at that time was one of the best fighters in the world, destroys Rich Franklin, becomes the champion, wins 16 fights in a row, nearly all of them in a glorious fashion outside of a couple. So when you embody the career of work and what it got kickstarted by in that fantastic debut against Chris Lieben, that catapulted him into superstardom during those days. I got to go with the spider Anderson Silva.
0: Yeah. You know, for many people that might've been very hardcore into MMA at the time, Anderson Silva's win and the fashion it happened in against Chris Levin came as no surprise. You know, Joe Rogan has talked about that uh, on his podcast before how he was telling his buddies like bet the house on Mm -hmm. Anderson Silva and stuff like that. But not a lot of people were into the sport that heavily yeah. at the time. So Anderson Silva kind of comes into, it was the fifth card on spike TV, the fifth ever fight night. And, um, he comes in as this guy that was like, he was big and King of the cage. Um, he had had a few fights in pride, uh, you know, come in, not with the cleanest of records, you know, he had some losses and stuff in his past, but, uh, Chris Levin, very popular fighter at this point. Oh, yeah. Season one of The Ultimate Fighter. He made a name for himself, and he had a very fun, fan-pleasing fight style. So in steps Anderson Silva, who's completely unknown, most people go, all right, Chris, murder this man. (laughs) And instead, you start seeing some Matrix-ass shit in the cage. Anderson Silva just making Chris Levin look rudimentary mm, yeah in every level you can imagine it it was as one-sided as it gets but that's Anderson Silva man and he would do that time and time again to guys that were better than Chris Levin yep. and make them look just as stupid that's just this really set the groundwork for what the career of Anderson Silva would really become known for exactly kind of big fight feel moments stuff like that just great yep. stuff my answer, though Dominic, I'm gonna be go a little bit, I guess, more uh, outside the box, maybe, um, maybe. That's an what you like that, to do on these rounds. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's the way I would word it. Maybe this is the obvious choice for for some viewers, or, but to me, this feels like an answer that you have to kind of think about and then go, oh yeah, I guess that makes sense. Uh, my answer is Hoist Gracie,
1: oh.
0: uh, the guy who he won his first fight at UFC one, so. What a way to debut but <laughs> Quite at the a very debut. first. Yeah. Um, this was back in the days, the very beginning of the UFC, where it was one-night tournaments. Um, everybody was very specialized. Royce Gracie coming in with the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, yep. uh, going up against a host of fighters with different um, martial arts that they were very good at, whether it was kickboxing, boxing, uh, freestyle wrestling. Um, so many different kinds, you know, stuff. Sometimes it was stuff that was made up, <laughs> it yeah. appeared, you know, things like that. Um, and he went through everybody. And not only that, but this whole event, I believe his father had a big hand in this event being held because the Gracie tapes were becoming more and more popular at the time. Uh, the Gracies had an ad in Playboy where they challenged any gym or dojo in America to a to a grappling match, and if they won, the Gracies would pay them a million dollars.
1: That's next level.
0: The Gracies did not have a million dollars, but that's because they knew they weren't going to lose. That's... So the so the Gracie tapes became a, a host of VHS tapes that where they would go to these gyms and just squash yeah <laughs> the opposition. Everybody. And um, Hoist actually is probably the one of the smaller of his generation of Gracie's he's the one of the more smaller guys one of the your more average looking guys not someone who if you saw them walking on the street you would go "Oh, that's a fighter all right yeah you know he's like five seven um you know got a bit of a dad bod going on you know stuff like that uh but the whole point was put hoist in here Because of that, and that'll be to their benefit once he runs through the competition. These guys like Ken Shamrock, and yeah, um, uh, these other guys that are so big a sumo wrestler in here, Taylor Thule, you know, Gerard Gordeaux, this really tall, uh, lanky guy from uh, I believe from Europe. And um, he runs through the competition, and it just makes jiu jitsu look that much better, which is ultimately what this first UFC event was meant to do. It was meant to grow the popularity of jiu-jitsu in America, and Mm -hmm. it did. And that was a lot to put on Hoist Gracie's shoulders, whether he realized it or not. You look at UFC today. We're about to have UFC 266 this Saturday. You can't tell me that we would be where we are with the sport today if Hoist Gracie fails to make that run at UFC 1. And really, you could even include his runs at UFC 2 and UFC 4 as well. He is a three-time Tournament winner never lost a fight in the promotion. Fun fact. Did have a draw with Ken Shamrock at UFC five, one of the worst fights of all time. Um, they didn't have rounds, so they went for like an hour of just in top position. It was sounds bad. like a fun watch. Yeah, but besides that, Hoyce Gracie, best debut of all time, one of the best UFC careers of all time, but not someone that you would necessarily uh usually think of right. since the game has advanced so much. But a guy couldn't think of a guy that had more on their shoulders in their debut than that man.
1: Oh, no kidding.
0: Mm-hmm. So number two, because mm. of that, now we can talk about Patty Pimblet even more. Hey,
1: and more direct
0: more directly. Uh basically the whole question here, Dom, me and you went back and forth about Patty Pimblett after his debut. But we want to talk more about that potential. Mm-hmm. that a lot of people are seeing. I'm seeing a lot of lists, you know, yeah. who are the future stars of the UFC, and Patty Pimblet is at the top of most of them. So we're going to talk about what is Patty Pimblet's true potential in this UFC lightweight division.
1: You know, when you think of potential in terms of skill set, what let's forget the kind of star talk for a second. Just look at the way this guy fights. He's as well-rounded as they come because, you know, what's crazy is he's known for how incredible of a submission specialist that he is. Then he goes out there in his debut and just goes into a back-and-forth bar fight, basically. But he was showing a lot of great offensive striking techniques. Now, when you talk about some of his defensive striking, uh, it could have been worked on a little better. Uh, Luigi kind of exposed some weaknesses there. So when you look at that debut, and again, Take this with a grain of salt, people, because he's had one fight. We realize this, but just let us go for a second. The potential that I necessarily see uh, him possessing over the next one, two, three years, as he really gets his feet wet in this UFC, you know, the elite organization where a lot of people have been saying he's been ready for. I mean, it's a guy that was offered it in 2016, turned it down, offered in 2018, turned it down. He wanted to be ready to make this leap. So that I respect a ton. But at the end of the day, he's launched into the deepest pool in the UFC with this 155-pound division. We know how stacked this weight class is. So with what I've seen with his skills so far, because, again, we didn't get to watch him a lot in the U.K. with Cage Warriors because we're the United States guys and the time difference, all that fun stuff. I digress. I think he is a very good talent. He's obviously a huge signing for the UFC. Uh, when you talk about that kind of star potential as well, just because he has that United Kingdom market behind him. But with his skills, I do believe within the next couple of years, we see him in that top 15. I believe we see him right around that top 10, maybe even a little, little bit ahead of top 10. But when you start talking about the elite of the elite, the contenders, the elite title contenders, you look at how top heavy this division is, along with all the young talent that's coming through right now in the ranks, and even some of the studs that aren't ranked yet. It's a very, very tough task ahead for Patty Pimblett. Can he do it and shock the world, or not really shock the world, but prove us wrong? Maybe, just maybe. But right now, September 22nd, 2021, I do within the next couple of years foresee him definitely right around that number 10 spot for sure with what I've seen so far.
0: Hmm. Interesting. I want to touch on first. Uh, you said that you thought that, or you think that he's a very well-rounded fighter. I, I disagree completely. Uh, I don't think he's well-rounded at all. Oh. I think he showed that in his debut That his, I mean, his striking is well below what you would want. I mean, yes, he did secure the first round finish, but of a fighter that he was meant to get that finish of, um, uh, I don't think wildly throwing uh, overhands while your chin's straight up in the air. I just don't think that's – to me, that's not high-level striking. And maybe, and maybe you and other people have seen something different in that performance. I just didn't – like, it's impressive to get the first round finished that way. But to me, it just shows he has a lot of work to do on that stand-up. Very good on the ground. I'm not going to say anything about the ground game. And um, yeah, I've I've been probably a bit more critical of Patty Pimblet on this podcast, and I'm going to stick to that here. I don't think his potential is very high. Um, and in terms of being a star, like sure, he could be a pretty big big deal in this promotion, but I but I don't know how high he can get because ultimately, if he's not able to win fights at the rate that he that he I guess should, then. I don't know how popular he can really get in the promotion. You know, could he get as popular as like Mike Perry where the hardcore fans are again, love him, but you know, because he's a fun fighter and he's got that crazy personality and you know, it doesn't really matter how many wins or losses he has maybe, but I mean, is that really, would that be considered a success if he's just at a Mike Perry level? I don't think so. So for Patty Pimblett. I ultimately think that what's going to prevent him most from ever reaching top fifteen status, which is my prediction right now. I'll go out on a limb and say it that I I don't see Patty Pimplett being a top fifteen fighter in the lightweight division, um, at least never consistently in his career. Uh, the biggest reason for that, I think, is kind of himself. And this isn't you know this isn't my place to tell him that he shouldn't do this. This is just the nature nature of the beast a little bit. I think you could the way I see his career going can very much compare to a guy like Mickey Gall. Um, Mickey Gall, while, you know, again, different in the sense that, you know, Patty came in with a lot of hype. Mickey was just put in a very high profile bout to start. Mm-hmm. So that's where the, there isn't much of a similarity, but I think it gets more similar as it goes. Mickey Gall, a guy that was, I think two and zero, had one UFC bout against these zero and zero Mike Jackson, um, got a win there and then gets put in a CM Punk fight. CM Punk, again, 0 and 0, WWE superstar, you know, yep, UFC 203, um, put as the feature bout. You know, this is a guy yeah. that's 2 and 0 oh in his professional MMA career against a guy 0 and 0. We know it was a big deal, CM Punk, you know, that crossover appeal and good for him. But that fight was big and mickey gall squashed cm punk and we know now that and even then if we didn't we should have that that was the only result that was going to (laughs) happen right so he comes off of that and he kind of made a name for himself and that was a smart call out man he called him out it was on that that his debut for in terms of his professional mma career it was on uh uh, Dana White looking for a fight. He said, yeah. "I want to be the debut bout for CM Punk." Smartest call out that kid will ever oh, make. Genius. Smartest decision a guy that age has ever made in their life. Yeah, and um, you know he was able to capitalize on it for sure for a while. Got a couple big wins after that, including Sage Northcutt. Yeah. That was a big win. Another kid that had kind of been over promoted, maybe over hyped a little bit. Um, but then see, but then you saw around UFC 217. Um, this is when Mickey Gall gets placed in a bout with Randy Brown. He loses that one. Um, after that, it was kind of a 500 go for Mickey Gall. He was always put in pretty big fights, fights that were, you know, whether it was on that biggest pay per view of all time, maybe UFC 217. It was like the, one of the headlining prelims. Mm-hmm. Um. You know He's been really high up on pay-per-views with guys like Diego Sanchez. He was the co-main of a fight night that was headlined by Dan Hooker and Dustin Poirier. He co-mained with Mike Perry. Um, he's had these really tough losses, but it's he's constantly been thrusted into these high-profile yeah. fights. And I think that's been t- kind of to his, at times, his chagrin. It's not always been to his benefit to be in that position because he's still, he's not as young as he was when we first watched him, but he's still a young guy, a guy that's still developing in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And he's kind of had to try to grow into this sport and really grow into who he is as a fighter while fighting on very big stages, stages bigger than most in his position would have to. And while, yes, he did ask for that in the sense that he wanted that big debut. He got that. He got the payday from that, was able to make more money probably than he ever would have if he hadn't gotten that CM Punk fight. But the problem is, is that it was like short term, a great idea. Maybe the money he made is enough to where it's like, it doesn't even matter how competitively if he goes 500 forever, like it doesn't really matter. Yeah. But competitively speaking, I think it's harmed his potential long term because if he had just been able to grow at the rate that most UFC fighters do, where they start low on these cards and, you know, they get wins over guys that are at equal footing as them. And then they kind of get right, right up the ranks a little bit. He didn't really have that. He's fighting guys that have way more fights than him that uh, way more experience, way bigger, I guess they're just a lot better fighters, but you know, he was making enough money to where it was kind of like a necessity for the UFC to continue putting him in big, big bouts against Mike Perry and Diego Sanchez. So this is what I worry about, Patty Pimblin. Same thing. He's got the he's got the character. He's got that talking ability. Okay. He does have a very fun fight style. Great grappling. He's willing to stand and trade on the feet for sure. And as you know, while I might have something to say about his stand up it was able to put someone away doesn't mean it can't happen again. Yeah. I just think that more times than not, the higher he goes, that's just going to, if he, if he fights like he did against Luigi Benramini, he ain't winning most of those fights. It's just the way it's going to be. Right. But um all in all, I like Luigi or I like Patty Pimblett. Well,
1: we do like Luigi too.
0: Yeah, I guess I do. <laughs> I like Patty Pimblett. I like his, his his, you know, he just gets in there and he's like, I'll trade, I'll go to the ground, I'll do whatever. You know, I like his personality. I'm just not very optimistic about his long-term future, and especially considering how highly people are kind of touting him already when his debut was against a guy who, yes, I thought Luigi showed some good things, but by all accounts, Luigi Benramini is barely UFC caliber and nearly put his lights out in the first minute of that fight. I just don't know if that really garners the kind of attention it's gotten. Mm-hmm. So that's all I worry about with uh, Patty Pimblett. Very long winded answer. I don't expect most people to agree. I think time will tell. You know, for all I know, he's going to end up being a huge star and win all these bouts, and I'll have to eat my words. But mm-hmm. um, maybe call it overreactive for one fight, and you would probably be. Accurate in that I just I'm not seeing it and I'm worried about these things that I'm talking about, and that's and that's pretty much it for now. There it is. (laughs) All right, number three. Sorry, I'm getting myself situated again. There you go. Get, yeah, yeah. So we've talked. This is everybody's favorite part of the episode, right here, Dominic. This is two in a row <laughs> this week. Dominic's like, "Wait a minute, how'd that get in here? That wasn't uh, on the script originally." Apparently. Noah
1: Loki just loves these events that we're about to discuss.
0: <laughs> I love talking about it. I think he to... buys
1: them and just doesn't tell anybody?
0: Oh, come on now, come on. <laughs> is that that I was too I, I watch Stephen Thompson like everybody else. All right, of course, of course. Um. So we've had a lot of celebrity boxing and thriller cards recently, Jake Paul cards, you know, they've all kind of crossed paths at one time or another. Yeah, um, Even upcoming is uh, uh, Riddick Bowe, the former, I believe, heavyweight champion in boxing, who is, uh, I believe, in his late 50s and is not in a very good shape. He's going up against Lamar Odom here pretty soon, I believe.
1: Yeah, and that fight makes tons of sense. So mm-hmm.
0: and that's happening in Florida. So shout out yeah. Florida State Athletic yeah. Commission once they, again. They keep upping the uh ante. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Talk about lowering the bar. I don't know yep. how much lower we can get, but holy shit. With that being said, th- these are happening quite a bit now. You know, and it's one of those things where um the Jake Paul thing has kind of worked, you know, whether we like it or not. Jake Paul versus Ben Askren and then Jake Paul and Tyron Woodley on Showtime especially was a big event. That big that Tyron Wood him and Tyron Woodley was a big event. Showtime did a really good job promoting it. Yeah. Both participants did a really good job hyping the fight up. You know Tyron yep. Woodley's never been that kind of guy. <laughs> never know. been the most marketable guy and he held his own. Yeah. So it, it kind of was just one of those, you know, snowball effects where it kind of worked. Fight itself blue ass, but that's all right. It sold well. Yeah. However, what what you see a lot, I think, and maybe this is something that long term we'll see more, Dominic, as we get older and we continue to do this. Whenever something works in combat sports, you get a lot of cheap imitators that want to come out and try to yeah. to kind of piggyback off that success. So that's why once Jake Paul signed with Showtime, Triller's been trying to continue to have these kind of fights that go viral but aren't really good fights. You know, Vitor Belfort was supposed to fight Oscar de la Hoya, and then they were like, Well, Vander Holyfield's suing us, so let's put him against Vitor Belfort. And yeah. Anderson Silva, Tito Ortiz, where yes, we know Anderson Silva looks still really good, but Tito Ortiz has never been a good boxer. Why is he in a boxing fight with Anderson Silva? Yeah, doesn't make any sense. So, all this is going on right now. And we all want to believe this is like a bubble, a wave, a, just a phase, whatever. But And it's all boxing. However, yep. we have so many MMA guys getting involved, Ben Askren, Anderson Silva, Tito Ortiz, Tyron Woodley, that the question has to be asked, Dominic, have has this string of cards affected MMA, and I guess the public perception of it, if at all, and is it in a positive or negative light, if so?
1: So I kind of think of two different points to discuss Mm -hmm. with this question. One being the money. Because it's been made clear, at least from what we've seen in terms of public knowledge, that the people that are going over and doing these fights, whether it is Triller or Showtime, the Paul brothers, yada, 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 they're getting the bag. They're getting paid pretty hefty Mm -hmm. pennies to go do this. And many say it's more than what they would have made in the UFC. And Tyron Woodley, by the way, was the dominant welterweight champion, one of the greatest at 170 pounds has ever seen. He made like what 2 million base without pay-per-view. It's probably more than he ever made with the UFC. He so literally the money came thing, out
0: and said, he came out and said this was the biggest payday of his career.
1: Yeah. That's former UFC champion. So mm-hmm. in that aspect, the money, these guys are going over. One-time fights, not not to mention if they do it over and over again, but just for one time, they're getting a huge payday that they didn't see in MMA, regardless of what promotion they were in. So that definitely just shines a bit of a negative light. At the end of the day, the UFC's not affected by it, you know what I mean? But it just kind of looks bad, like a cloud that just kind of hovers mm-hmm. over. And then um, the second point, what was I going to do? Oh, yeah, so just the competition, I guess, in general, because... Ben Askren was, at one point, an undefeated MMA champion with one championship. We saw him come over to the UFC. Weird run, but he was there. Hyped up a lot of fights. It was fun while it lasted, I guess. But he goes over, gets destroyed by a YouTuber. Knocked out cold. Mm -hmm. Tyron Woodley, former 170-pound champion, four title defenses. Technically, four. He had a draw, but it's four. Goes over, loses legitimately, by the way, loses. Loses. To a YouTuber, Jake Paul. Um, the So that's negative, obviously, because we got these MMA fighters. We're like, man, put the community on your back, go over there, finish this. Let's end this little run of these stupid fights. They've lost so far. But there is a little, little bright spot here. Not the oh, Vitor God. Belfort one. Not oh, the God. Vitor one. That's, that's a shame. I that know fight should never happen.
0: Go ahead and fanboy out again.
1: But. Anderson Silva, and I'm not talking about the Tito fight. That fight's stupid as mm-hmm. shit, too. Should have never happened. I mean, really, come on, people. What are we doing? Tito Ortiz is a wrestler. What? I don't know where Triller pulled that rabbit out of a yeah, hat from. I don't know either. Anyway, he did legitimately go over in boxing against mm-hmm. a former world champion boxer and beat him over the course of, what, eight, ten rounds, whatever it was, and yeah. won a decision and looked fantastic. So... Out of the couple tries that the MMA fighters have done in boxing, there has been one bright area. But overall, it definitely doesn't look good when MMA fighters but MMA champions are going over and losing these fights. And I know that they're not boxers, and they never have been professional boxers. So it shouldn't make them look as bad as what it's perceived as. That's just kind of the state of where we are right now with this whole thing. So uh, those are kind of the two areas Uh, where I feel like there was an effect quote unquote that I wanted to discuss there. Curious to get your thoughts, of course.
0: Yeah. You raised some good points there. I want to start actually with your second point where you're talking about the competition itself. um, Yes. Losing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, I kind of blanked on it as I was about to talk about it. Yeah. So, that was our biggest concern, Dominic. I remember when this was coming about. Jake yeah. Paul, Ben Askren, were like, "Okay, <laughs> this can't happen. Yeah. Like, we can't be having, you know, Jake Paul knocking out who we know Ben Askren to be one of the worst <laughs> for a guy that's in his position that was really good in MMA. Yeah, one of the worst strikers in his position. Yeah, um, and, and but with that. For him, for Jake Paul to be able to say, like, I knocked out a world champion mixed yeah. martial artist. Yeah. And he did. And it didn't look great. But then we're <laughs> like, but then him and Tyron Woodley gets announced. And we're like, oh no, it can't happen again. Not with a UFC champion. Not with a guy that actually can throw some bombs. Yeah. Tyron Woodley. Again, still a wrestler, still a guy past his prime. But like, again, this is a Always guy that's had the power his whole life, you know, yeah. in MMA. And he didn't get knocked out, but he won the fight. Clearly won the fight, according to most accounts. Again, yeah. we didn't watch it, but we 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 know what we've heard. Yes. <laughs> We're not going to pretend like we heard anything else. Yeah. And what was weird, though, was I almost think Showtime has done such a good do- job at promoting that fight that they've made more people than ever believe that Jake Paul is a legitimate boxing threat, which yeah. – because of that, I don't know if this really affected MMA at all. Tyron Woodley lost, and I didn't hear anybody talking about, you know, do MMA strikers not have good? Are they do they lack of boxing ability and things yeah. like that? Um, I didn't hear any of that, and I thought that was going to happen. I was like, if he beat the UFC champion, oh my yeah. god, yeah, and it didn't. And I was like, well, maybe they just done too good of a job of promoting this guy, right? not to not that Showtime gives a fuck about that, but <laughs> yeah. Jake Paul's really been trying to kind of build that beef of like, I'm a Disney channel star. I'm a YouTuber, <laughs> yeah. you know, watch me fu- beat every fucking champion in UFC history, you yeah. know, just uh stupid shit like that. But I think it's kind of not really working anymore. I mean, he's get He's finding other ways to kind of get his shit out and mm-hmm. um, you know, jawing with Jorge Masvidal and stuff. So there's it's still gonna continue for a while, but I really don't think MMA has been affected. And honestly, the fighters that have been involved, I can't really see anything other than positive effects for him here. Sure. I mean, has Ben Askren being knocked out good for by Jake Paul? Good for his legacy? No. Is Tyron Woodley losing to Jake Paul? Good for his legacy. No. Is Tito Ortiz being knocked out one punch? By Anderson Silva, good for his legacy. No, but at the end of the day, I mean, it's they made a lot of money doing it. Apparently, yeah. more money than they ever made in a UFC belt, or Bellator, or One FC. And because of that, I don't see like to them, you know, they had their time in, in the sun, their their time to shine. This is them just cashing out now. Yeah. You know they 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 competed at the highest level for such a long time, and now they're like actually I want to do some stuff that's just going to get me paid, and I yeah. can't really flack them for that. Including Vitor Belfort, you know I want to put him in there as well. Those those have been kind of our our horsemen of the apocalypse, if you will. Yeah. Those five, um, but and I so I can't even be upset at it from that aspect. But surprisingly, as of now, I don't think the sport of MMA has been. Uh, affected in terms of public perception, yeah. Um, but I definitely think that that was a concern we had, considering how much we were concerned about it when it was yeah. first happening. Yeah, I think so far we're all right. For the now. world is not the world is not ended yet.
1: Let's keep it that way, please.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Number four.
1: Fun question here.
0: Yep, I like this one. So Dominic, we got a lot of title fights to kind of wrap up 2021 for this last quarter. But uh, this question involves making an assumption that probably won't happen, but it's still fun to do. So the assumption is that every title remains in the current champion's hands to end the year. So every title fight that's coming up, the champion going in is the champion walking out. And the question is predict the next title defense for each champion to begin 2022. Again, the assumption being that every title fight that's booked is like, that's it. You know, there's no more going to be added to 2021. It's all in still. Yep. So let's go uh, start bottom up, and we'll just kind of give our thoughts on who we think will be next based on what other matchups are out there that have to be figured out, whatnot. Who do we think gets it next? So we start women's strawweight. There's Nami Yunus, current champion. She does have a defense coming up at UFC 268 yep. against Zhang Lee. This is a back-to-back. So if the assumption is that she wins that bout, um, the hope is Carla Sparza, right?
1: Yes, Carla Esparza.
0: Um, the only thing that can throw a wrench in that is Marina Rodriguez and Mackenzie Dern. Yes. I think the winner of that bout would be a great, great matchup. I think – I've Truthfully, I almost give the winner of Rodriguez Dern a better chance to the Rose than Carla. But yeah. Carla does have the win over Rose. There's the built-in story. She's earned it. Yes. So let's go with Carla Esparza, right? Yes. All right. Uh, women's flyweight. We got this Valentina Uh She's fighting Lauren Murphy this Saturday. So the assumption is she wins there, which I think most people are assuming that at this point anyways. Who – would be next for her do you think because i don't have anything pulled up in front of me i don't know who i would pick
1: i mean really considering she's beaten everyone when you look at it um if cynthia calvillo beats jessica androge this weekend i'd say cynthia calvillo would be her next title defense but, at okay, but okay
0: but overall we're predicting these things right now so are you do you think that is what's going to happen do you think cynthia calvillo beats jessica androge
1: Yeah, there's no one else I can say. I'm just going to go Cynthia Calvillo.
0: Okay, so you're not really giving an answer then. Correct. Okay. Um, If I'm predicting it, maybe she does actually get that third fight with Amanda Nunes.
1: But title defense, though, flyweight.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's Um, hard, though. She's
1: beating everybody.
0: I would like to I would I would love to uh get the female Habib in here, but it's just not gonna happen.
1: No kidding, you know? buddy, me too.
0: <laughs> let me let me look at the list and see.
1: It's just hard when literally one through five she's already beaten. Yeah. Basically.
0: Who's Joanne Calderwood fighting next?
1: Oh, I don't remember off the top of my head. I think, no, it's uh, uh, Alexa Grasso. <clears throat> Later Alexa
0: if Alexa Grasso wins that fight, that, that might be. I really like Alexa
1: Grasso. She's good.
0: Do I think Alexa Grasso beats Joanne Calderwood? That's a tough fight. That's a it good is. fight. Yeah. Um, you know what? For shits and giggles, I'm going to go with Joanne Calderwood. All right. She's kind of the odd woman that's out, that kind of earned it at one point and then yeah. lost it. And yeah. So I'll go with her just by default. But, yeah, that's a tough division to sort out. Women's Bantamweight. Yeah. Manda Nunez is capping off the year UFC 269 Mm -hmm. against Juliana Pena. We do have some matchups being kind of brewed up here, Dominic. So who do you think she starts out 2022 defending the belt against? Aspen Ladd. Aspen Ladd. Okay, over Macy Kieson.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go Aspen Ladd. I've always been high on her. I'm still going to ride it for now.
0: Hmm. I think Irene Aldana is an interesting pick. However, yeah. her losing the ability, her fight with Jermaine Durand to me, that hurts makes that tough. So, uh, again, this is prediction. So it's not necessarily a fight I think should happen. It's just what I think will. Right. Um, I'm, I think the winner of Ketlin Vieira, Misha Tate, is actually a realistic...
1: That's a player, for sure. It's a
0: realistic fight, considering it, it, Aldana and Aspen Ladder definitely up there, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Holly Holmes fighting that... Well, that'll actually be something we can get into. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll go with... Uh, man, Ketlin Vieira could win that fight. I'll go with Misha Tate, though. I think All they right. might run that a little rematch? To, big name. you know. Do I think it should happen? No, but Ultimately, she's a big name that's on a looked really good so far. To yeah. see how she looks against Vieira, I could see her winning that one. Women's featherweight, we actually can give one for this. There's one scheduled <laughs> bout yep. for a division: Holly Holm and Norma Dumont. Um, you know what? I'm going to go Norma Dumont. Damn. It. Same. I'll do it too. <laughs> Even though Holly Holm's probably going to win that fucking fight, and we can maybe maybe that'll be the nail in the coffin <laughs> for the but featherweight. for fun, for fun, I'm going to go Norma Dumont. And uh, Amanda Nunes probably wreaks havoc over her in the cage, and then we just say bye bye to the, the division. I don't know. There we go. Yeah. So those women's divisions. <laughs> I promise <laughs> you guys, this will get a little bit more fun. <laughs> yeah. So flyweight Brandon Moreno announced mm. this one's interesting because yeah. when I when I found this question, I was under the assumption he would be defending at UFC 269 against Alexandre Pantoja. Of course. However. Pantoja not being available, Davidson Figueredo will get the rematch or the rubber match in some ways of for their trilogy. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so assuming Brandon Moreno comes out on top there, uh, that is the last pay-per-view to year, so maybe sometime late spring, early summer. What do you think Moreno uh, defends next?
1: I'll, I'll stick with Pantoja. I, I really okay. think that those guys really want to fight each other. I think Pantoja's earned it. He's got wins over Moreno in the past. I'm going to go with Alejandro.
0: Do you think he'll have to win another fight to secure and keep himself in that number one contender spot?
1: Right now, my mind says no. Okay. We'll see.
0: See, I have a feeling Pantoja and Askar Askarov may end up getting matched together. Um, But I'm still going to go with Pantoja as well. I actually think he he might be able to win that fight against Askar Askarov. Yeah. May not be the smartest pick, but... I really like I, him I like lately. What he's though. doing right now, though he does look really good. Yeah, and that whenever Roy Val was and Manel Cape before him, very impressive. Oh, yeah. So here's a controversial one. <laughs> Aljamain Sterling. Oh crap, yeah. So assuming Aljamain Sterling is able to do what nobody expects him to do right now and hold on to that title against Peter Jan. This is this is probably the most fun this question's gonna get because I don't expect Aljamain Sterling to beat Peter Yan at yeah. all. And maybe that's not fair to him. But, Dominic, is it, is it got to be TJ Dillashaw? After it, that? it has
1: to be. I'd have to imagine, right? I mean, it was kind of mm. locked in stone, and he's, he's getting the knee surgery, but he'll be ready early next year. I think it's TJ for
0: sure. Sorry, I bumped my mic. Yeah, You're TJ good. Dillashaw for sure. I'm um, trying to think if there's anybody else kind of in here that could maybe. All I'm saying is I need Hagen and
1: Rob Font booked. That's the yeah, fight I, I want. I
0: mean Rob Rob Font also could throw his name in the hat. A lot of it depends on availability, of course. Yeah, I'm going to assume that Sterling Dillashaw happens because Dillashaw's just a bigger name. So I'll assume that that fight happens first. But don't be surprised if Dillashaw's not ready. Maybe as you know, due to the rehab, and uh, maybe Rob Font, Aljamain Sterling. Yeah, to start 2022, but uh, don't get used to Sterling in the title position is what I would tell people. But that's a conversation for uh, yeah. October. I digress. <laughs> this was probably a pretty easy one. Alexander, the great Volkanovsky. If he's able to get through Brian Ortega this Saturday, it appears that his prize is to fight Max Holloway a third time.
1: Yep. I would say Max Holloway regardless for sure. Mm hmm. Even if Max fights again or not, okay. it's going to be Max.
0: Yeah, because we're still it's still up in the air if, if Max Holloway is going to fight Yair in yeah. November. But I think Volkanovski has not been like the most active guy, especially as champion. So mm-hmm. I think that uh, that'll be the kind of right amount of layoff for him before he would need to step back in there with Max Holloway. You yep. know, again, late spring, early summer type deal.
1: This one is also wait, wait. really
0: fun so let's assume Charles Oliveira uh, and Dustin Poirier gets officially booked for December I guess because so I don't think that's official official but we're gonna assume it is yeah. right now so Charles Oliveira gets a the biggest win of his career against Dustin Poirier to end 2021 we have another obvious fight happening the month prior between Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler. So, does the question become who wins that bout? Because is that ultimately who's fighting next for the belt?
1: Islam Makachev.
0: Ooh, interesting. So, you think Makhachev's able to, with the win over RDA, you think he's able to kind of beat Frog?
1: I just think the UFC loves him so much. You know what the UFC thinks of RDA? I'm going to mm-hmm. I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to okay. go with long. I like
0: it. I like where your head's at there yeah. for that one. Um I'm going to go with Justin Gaethje. So I, I think him and Michael Chandler is going to be a barn burner. I think that's mm-hmm. a 50-50 fight, I truly do. Uh people might people might start sleeping on Chandler now because he's one and one in the UFC yeah. and he had that tough loss to Oliveira, but the guy had nearly put that he was nearly the champion. So yeah. um <laughs> But uh, I'm gonna go with Justin Gaethje. I think the leg kicks, uh, you know, the power. I just think that he'll be. I mean, Michael Chandler might be the one guy that's more powerful than Justin Gaethje in this division. Mm-hmm. But I think the his J, Justin Gaethje has a better chin than Michael Chandler, and that's where I think the power dynamic falls more in Gaethje's favor. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I love that fight though still. Kamaru Usman. And welterweight. He's got Colby Covington for a s- second time coming up. A lot of potential rematches, Dominic. Kamaru's been a pretty active champion, so that might yeah. give certain guys an opportunity. But uh based off of a lot of the talk, you know, we're not, a lot of these guys we might be getting some bouts scheduled for the end of the year that haven't been announced yet, you know, guys like Gilbert Burns, Leon Edwards, Vicente Luque, they're all calling out people. Luque calling out Nate Diaz, Edwards and Masvidal having some words, Gilbert Burns trying to throw his name in the hat. Ultimately, if Usman gets past Covington, where does he start 2022 at?
1: I think it's Mr. Vicente Luque, Noah. I really do. I think regardless of who Luque fights next, I think he's really came into his all right now, fan-friendly fighter. And most importantly, it's a fresh matchup for the champion, Kamaru Usman. I think mm-hmm. Vicente Luque has already intrigued him and his manager, Ali Abdelaziz. And I think that's going to be his next title defense, Vicente Luque.
0: I'm going to do it, Dom. All right. All right. I'm going to say it. Wait. Leon Edwards.
1: Oh, good for you, Noah. I'm glad to see here you why. put your bad blood to the side.
0: I See, this is the thing. I don't dislike Leon Edwards, but I've not been, I would have been, I've not been the guy that's been like, yeah, give that man the title shot now. Yeah. But I will say if he smartens up and I, and I, God damn it. I'm going <laughs> to believe it. He's going to smarten up and take the Mosvidal fight in January that is supposedly on the table. Yeah. So my belief is that that fight will headline a fight night in January Jorge Masvidal, Leon Edwards. Leon Edwards, I think, probably wins that fight. And ultimately, I think it'll be uh it'll basically be him or Luke but I think Luke and Nate Diaz is a matchup that we'll also see. And um beginning of next you know, year. Edwards, I just have a feeling will take maybe less damage than Luke in those potential matchups. And um Edwards Usman too. All That's right. where I'm feeling. All right. Israel Adesanya. This actually might be the easiest one. Yeah, cause he's cause not he's even not booked. He's not booked, but he's gonna be in January. We hope. <laughs> yeah, that's what it looks like. Robert Whitaker, let's go. UFC 270. Better be the headliner.
1: Yeah, I'm going rob as well. So yeah. The Reaper. Let's do yeah.
0: it. Don't even not even gonna waste another second on it.
1: Hey now, this one's kind of fun too.
0: This one is definitely Jan Blachowicz defending against Glover Teshera, UFC 267.
1: Can't wait for that.
0: Blahovic gets past him. Got some fun contenders waiting in the wings, don't we? We do. So is there any assumption to be made that Yuri Prohaska and Alexander Rakic actually end up fighting um, to end the year or to start next year? Or is one of them just kind of going to be able to get a title shot regardless?
1: I mean, if, if we're just sitting and not fighting, I think they give Yuri the title shot over. Alexander Rakich, I do. Yeah. I mean, I want him to fight so badly, but I'll go ahead and go Yuri Prohaska. Next title defense. It's tough, though, man. Like, what's going to happen?
0: I'm trying to think of some because we're, you know, a lot of these are kind of falling in line with what we think should happen, too. And, you know, the UFC does give us the fights we want most of the time. But I will say that there are some times where they're, when they announce the matchup, for title fights and stuff. I'm like, that was not where I was going to go at all. Yeah. So because of that, I'm trying to have a couple of those. So I'm going to throw one at you.
1: Okay.
0: Anthony Smith.
1: Yeah, I knew it. I knew it. I knew that's what you were going to do.
0: So I, I think, because uh, I think Rakich and Pro might get matched up uh, to kind of start next year, if okay. not end this year. And with that, I don't know if uh, they'll be quite ready for Blahovic for perhaps maybe Blahovic will be ready to go in February or March might be too close too soon for either of those guys depending on how that fight goes cuz that could be a bloodbath. Oh yeah. So I think Anthony Smith, you know, I think he earned a lot of respect uh on Saturday night. Jan now, again, tweeted him too. Yeah. Again, not the kind not necessarily the guy I would give the title shot to. But I would I it's not one I'd be upset at either. I know I kind of worded it like, oh, they're trying to think of someone's just not a guy that I think people are expecting to get that shot. Yeah. But um wouldn't surprise me if Jan would be on board with it too, would kind of want to give him that shot, you know. So um I'm gonna go with the feel good one and Anthony Smith.
1: I like it. Well, you know I like that. So
0: <laughs> and I mean actually this one might be the easiest one knowing that. <sighs> Francis Ngannou, he's not scheduled for the rest of 2021. I guess the biggest question, Dominic, is: Do we actually see Ngannou and Surreal Ghan combine their titles into one? We do. Is that is that what we're getting next?
1: It it, it fucking better be. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. That's a fight I need to see. Inject that, John Jones. Uh, again, are we even going to see the guy fight? I mean, let's be honest. I don't know. So mm-hmm. yeah, Cyril gone. Francis and Ganu. Let's unify them belts, and then maybe we'll revisit the John Jones conversation.
0: Yeah, unify, not combine. Sorry. Yeah.
1: Come on, up. no. What are you doing? I'm
0: going to have to say the same. I want to throw a fun one in there, but I can't. My God, if that doesn't happen,
1: <laughs> I'll cry. Maybe we'll get another interim fight.
0: Maybe they'll strip Ganu for no reason.
1: Yeah and then Steve and then, gets gone and
0: then surreal gone fights uh what Shamil you? Abdurrahimov when all he right. beats all right
1: so what's question 5
0: <laughs> okay that was fun that was fun <laughs> so yeah number 5 <laughs> okay oh this is one that Dominic has, uh, has provided for us and I hope you I'm all still love it. you know this one's still like I'm I'm still I I remember which answer I'm going to give, but it was a struggle. It's a bit
1: challenging, yeah.
0: So the the question is, what's the best five-fight run any fighter has had in UFC history? Meaning any stretch of five fights where you looked at that and you're like, that is the best stretch any fighter has ever been on. So a lot of your top dogs through history are going to be at the top here, but man, there was some sleepers on here that could have been, you know, Maybe not the best, but as far, in terms of even guys that hadn't won belts before, I was like, wow, they really had a really good run. Tony Ferguson, mm-hmm. you know, guys like that. So, Dominic, I'm, you know, I'm, I set it up, but I want you to go first. What's your answer?
1: So, it came down to two for me. Again, as Noah said, um, it was hard because not a lot of people in the UFC go on win streaks. Especially five or more.
0: That's yeah, a lot.
1: So that does narrow your list down to a certain extent between some pretty elite level talents that we've seen. Like I said, it came down to two for me. And as bad as I wanted to be a homer for the guy back here on my wall, Stipe Miocic, I'm going the other way and a potential future challenger for Stipe. Anyways, John <laughs> Bones jones now you may ask well what run of five considering he has went on a numerous fight five fight skid or not skid but win streaks throughout his career so this specific section is the one i'm going to go with so we start fight number one john jones becomes the youngest person in ufc history to win a championship belt and he does that against mauricio shogun hua absolute Mm. legend of mixed martial arts Goes on to defend his belt the first time against Quentin Rampage Jackson. By the way, I'm also going to go method of victory here as well to throw a little bit more spice in there for you. He TKO's Mauricio to become champion. He submits Rampage Jackson for his first defense. He then goes on to submit Leoto Machida, literally left him out cold, and then he face-planted on the ground. One of the nastiest yep. oh walk-off pictures you'll Woo. ever see in history of UFC. Woo. Then... He does go on to have a five-round decision victory over Sugar Rashad Evans, former champion. Also, Leo Tomachita, former champion. I'm mentioning that as well. And then, to cap it off, that fifth win, a submission victory over Vitor Belfort. That, Mm -hmm. to me, especially... He was 23, 24, doing this against legends of the game. And you may sit here in 2021 and look at these names and think, Huh? These guys, really, at this period, we're talking, what are the years, 2011, 2012, these guys were still all about that life and still very much elite in that 205-pound division. So for that, Noah, Mr. John Bones Jones takes the cake for me.
0: Interesting, interesting. So I had to go out. I had to go again. I had to try to go outside the box for this one because it's, it's hard. There's a lot of good ones, um, but I went to a different promotion for this one. Oh, you uh, Surprisingly, rascal. I know the UFC, of course, Supreme. So they should always kind of get the edge in these kind of, you know, when you're thinking about these, these kind of questions, usually it would be the UFC because they have had the best fighters for as long as we can remember. So how can you have the best five fight run if you're not in the best promotion with the best talent? UFC has not always had the best talent, however. So I'm going to go with uh, Fedor Emelianenko. Uh, for his runs in Pride FC, that's right, I said runs, because there are two separate five-fight streaks here, and neither one of them is perfect in terms of like the name value and stuff, but when you stack both of them together, it just shows why this guy is considered a pound-for-pound great, despite the fact he never even stepped foot in a UFC octagon. So I'm going to start with his early run in Pride, tko and Gary Goodridge. Big Daddy, tko Yuji Nagata, getting an armbar over Mark Coleman, the, the inaugural UFC heavyweight champion, getting a Kimura submission on Kevin Randleman, another mm, UFC what a, heavyweight champion, what a beast. and ultimately getting a submission armbar over Naoa Ogawa. And then he had a no contest with uh, Noguera. But then right after that, it goes on another five-fight streak. A unanimous decision win over Antonio Noguera. Um Minotaro, you know, one of the pound for pound greats as well. Yeah, that was probably one of the biggest fights in Pride history. Mm-hmm. He gets a TKO over Su- Suyoshi Kosaka. Gets another decision win over Mirko Krokop. Kind of a one big one of the view. most dangerous fighters in Pride history. Gets this is definitely the, the outlier here. TKO over Zulazino in about 26 seconds. That was one of those freak show fights, like, shouldn't have happened. But at least he made quick work of him. And gets another submission win over Mark Coleman, this time via armbar. And I was I wanted so badly. If I could take out Zulazino and put in his next bout, he got a Kimura on Mark Hunt. So, like, I wanted so badly to do that. But um, obviously neither of these are perfect, but – that kind of run in that promotion, Pride, who for heavyweights especially were the king of the worlds at the time. I mean, that was the biggest promotion in the world for heavyweight MMA fighters. And for a guy like Fedor Emelianenko, who didn't even have the best build, you know, he was a very dad bodish type figure to him. You know, not ripped by any means, and he would just go in and fucking maul people and destroy people. And you know what? A lot of respect for that guy, the Russian. And I respect that
1: answer, Noah. Now, if you don't mind, real quick, just because I'm curious, because we did have a little discussion the other day when we tried to do this episode, and anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Um, If you had to, and I'm only asking this because I found this question on UFC on BT Sport, shout out to BT Sport. If you had to pick a UFC run, and I know you were on the fence, which one would you take?
0: Probably take Habib. his final That's what I figured. Yeah. That was worth. that was kind of the second choice I had. Yeah. Um Ally Quinta, the way he won the belt, that's kind of the one of course. You know, and Rage and Al is a good fighter, but it's just it doesn't hold up to a yeah. lot of these other runs. Um, but you go to fight before that, the biggest lop side in a scorecard in UFC history, 30 24 over Edson Barboza following I like Quina with the three title defenses against Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier, and Justin Gaethje. Two of those yeah. being interim champions says a lot about the kind of quality of the lightweight division and that Habib went through at the end of his career. Say what you will about you know his his record as a whole and those early bouts in his career where maybe he was getting a lot of gimme fights over in Russia, whatever. Doesn't matter. The guy at the end of the day fought the best of the best once he got to it yeah. and made them all look like mortal men for sure
1: and all three of those title defenses via submission and they got quicker each time fourth round (laughs) third round second round
0: yeah that's a good point i didn't even think about that that's that's nice yeah um so that that question dominic good on you
1: sure again shout out to bt sport
0: (laughs) number six this is a late addition here yeah Yeah. game time decision we had the we had to swap out one of our got one of our questions for another
1: i like this one better
0: I do too. This is on the topic of long reigning champions. We've had a few of those in the UFC's illustrious history. Sometimes champions feel like long reigning champions when they're in the grand scheme of things, really not. You know, is a long reigning champion someone like Tyron Woodley? Would you consider that a long reigning champion? Or is it, you know, simply the guys like GSP and Anderson Silva and John Jones and Demetrius Johnson, these guys that had. Upwards of 7, 8, 10, 12 title defenses, you know? Yeah. So, well, I'll let your mind kind of go whatever direction you want there. But the question is, are long-reigning champions overall better or worse for the divisions that they are in? I, I feel, Dominic, that I know where you're going to go with this considering your favorite fighter of all time falls in line as a long-reigning champion. But I will be curious to see how you defend your answer.
1: Yeah, um, I, I very much love long reigning champions. I, I'm not one for passing the belt around like candy on Halloween. I'm not that big <laughs> into it. Uh, I really like when you have people that work their way up the ranks, can become a champion, and then can stay the champ. I, I you know, they, it's that truly they you felt that they earned it, and then the fact that they can go on and just basically lap everyone. That's kind of how they're describing Kamaru Usman right now, where he's having all these rematches. He's lapping the whole division. And I love seeing these guys get tested against the who's who of the division. And not only that for the champion aspect, but for the rest of the division, because it is, is it better or worse for the division? I think it is better because then you can have these up-and-comers and the other veterans that are in that top five, they all have someone to constantly gun for. If the belt is always just changing hands, it's like, dude. I mean, I'll become a champ eventually. These guys can't hold out. If you've got one guy sitting up top uh, on the throne, you've got you have got your eyes on that target, and you know, okay, I got to work through these guys to get to the ultimate goal, and I want to prove I want to be the one to say I dethroned the best fighter of all time, Henry Cejudo. I dethroned Demetrius Johnson, Chris Weidman. I dethroned. Anderson Silva, so on and so forth. Johnny Hendricks, how would throw in GSP? Mm, I don't want to make anybody <laughs> mad. But uh, I really like the idea of a long-standing champion that earned their way there, and then they can prove I'm the best in the division. I'm one of the best in the world. Um, because they say you're not a champion until you defend, right? So I'm not big on that saying, but I, I kind of respect it. Shout out Matt Hughes for that one. But, uh, and, I, and I just love the aspect of fighters in the division as well, chasing that person and wanting to be the one to dethrone them and take their place. And then can they become the longstanding champion and prove they really are that good. So, uh, I genuinely do love it. Not all because of Anderson, but he was a legend at Mm -hmm. that, of course, but I just really like the whole storyline of long reigning champions as well, regardless of who it is.
0: No, yeah, it's a great story for sure. Once that guy kind of rises to the top and does dethrone, you know, we almost had it with Dominic Reyes and even yep. Tiago Santos. I stand by, my Both boy. My, I stand by Maheta. That man was that man was closer than people realize on one leg.
1: One leg. However,
0: um, what's funny is uh, you did with your comment about Johnny Hendricks and GSP. I feel like 2014 <laughs> MMA Twitter is is on fire right now because <laughs> yeah. we're getting we're getting uh, thrown under the bus for sure in 2014 yeah. for having an opinion on the matter. However, what I will say is I think short term, because I don't think it's as simple as a yes or no for me because mm-hmm. um, this is a lot opinion based. I think short term, there is some value in having not having a longstanding champion. more guys are able to get the shine of holding the title and I'm not even talking about hot potato and I mean I guess it is if it's not held by one person for a long time, but I'm not necessarily talking about like the light heavyweight division when it was probably at its peak, which maybe that's even an example I should be using for my point, but uh, back when, you know, that, those guys were basically literally not even getting one title defense and were passing it around. Yeah, you know? um, I think it was Chuck Liddell lost it to Rampage, who lost it to Forrest Griffin, who lost it to Rashad Evans, who lost it to Lyoto Machida, who lost it to Shogunua, who then lost it to John Jones.
1: Oh, oh and then there's that guy, yeah. And
0: I'm pretty <laughs> sure rampage had i think one title defense against dan henderson but i don't think anybody else and then um shogun technically had the title defense over uh shogun Leoto, yeah. I, I don't know if i said that wait right. shogun over Leoto Liot, had the title defense over shogun very even though everybody thought one yeah. of the worst decisions in ufc <laughs> history ran it back so to, everybody else though passed it along just hey, yeah. here you go here's the yeah. belt <laughs> i don't want it anymore yeah um but that that division was probably the best it's ever been at that time, but that was a lot of star power, you know, not really because of the whole belt being thrown around. So what I'm thinking of is let's talk about when John Jones decided to leave the light heavyweight division. I think short term, you know, for the last year, I think it's been good for the division. You know, Jan Blahovich yeah. was able to become champion and really make a name for himself, have a nice run, fight with Adesanya was fun, stuff like that. And then you've had these new contenders emerging, guys who had lost to Jones, kind of have new life, yeah. breath into their careers, Anthony Smith being an example last Saturday, yeah. Alexander Rakic now having, you know, a chance, um, uh, Yuri Prohaska, these young guys that are looking to, you know, because no matter what, Jan while he looks really good and at the best he's ever looked, we don't believe he's indestructible, you know. We don't believe he's as good as John Jones right. was at his peak in the division. So there's some fun in the fact that, like each event that Ljubovic might be defending the belt, it's like I I could totally believe one of whoever he's fighting, if it's Rakich or Anthony Smith or Glover Teixeira coming up, or you know whoever, I could totally see one of them winning the belt. However, long term, I think it's better to have the longstanding champion. And in this case, I think the light heavyweight division lost a little something with John Jones left because imagine if John Jones had had to defend against Jan Blahovic, and would have lost to Jan proper. I mean, I'm not saying it would have happened. I'm just saying if it had. Imagine the kind of respect Jan Blahovic would have gotten then
1: Oh yeah, and while
0: now he, I think he has gotten a lot of that respect. I think the win over Adesanya gave him a lot of that. Yeah, you know he would be looked at as a pound for pound best right now. Yeah, hundred percent. Instead, he's just you know he is towards the top, you know, middle top, but still has a ways to go. And I just don't know if he has enough time to really put that stamp on his legacy before he, you know, his clock runs out. You know, yeah. So I think there loses a bit of that. You know, Habib retiring. While for now, the, you know, I love the lightweight division short term. You got these fun matchups that can be had. And it, it it looks like anybody can win the title now. You know, Charles Oliveira, I love the guy. I think he can be a longstanding champion, despite what people think. But it's going to be a lot of 50-50 fights for him on paper.
1: Yep, Justin
0: Poirier, 50-50 fight. Justin Gaethje, 50-50 fight. That one actually might be more in Gaethje's favor than any other. If he fights Michael Chandler again, 50-50 fight. We saw that already take place. Islam Makhachev, that's a tough fight. Yeah. you know, um, Habib, it always felt like going in, it was like, well, Poirier's got a 20% chance. Gaethje's <laughs> got a – maybe you give Gaethje yeah. a little bit more of a chance. You know, whatever. But I, it always felt like Habib was going to come out on top. Yeah. But if Habib was still champion – long-term that event where he does lose oh, he would be two, crazy. what it does for that person, you know,
1: and the so idea I, I've always loved the idea of Oliveira Habib, man I, sucks. I, we didn't get to see that yeah, one, but I know I, 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 I like it.
0: So I think it's a bit of short-term long-term and some of it does depend on the champion themselves. You know how, Oh yeah. If it's, if you get an Anderson Silva who puts on a lot of really fun fights and fun moments, and yes, he does kind of make an ass out of the competition <laughs> But I mean, he's so entertaining outside of, you know, Talas Leites and uh, Damian Maya fights. We won't yeah. talk about those. But for the most part, being a very fun champion, then I don't see why you wouldn't enjoy that. But if you get, let's say, you know, not to shit on him, but, you know, when Tyron Woodley was champion, look at his run after his first, when he had the draw with Steven Thompson. The rematch with Stephen Thompson was a dull fight. The match with Damian Maya was one of the worst fights in UFC history.
1: Never forget 0 for 23, though.
0: Oh, I agree. And I'm not, look, Tyron <laughs> Woodley's a beast. I know. but And then after that is when you had the Darren Till fight, which was a big moment. But he kind of got a reputation in that time for being yeah. a boring champion. And I kind of wonder if, like, you know, if he had continued to be at the top past, darren till if he had the fight with usman had been the reverse where it was woodley dominating usman with the wrestling and whatnot i wonder if uh people would just be like i don't want to fucking watch him anymore like no matter how many times he won if it's in boring fashion it's like get him off my screen we haven't really seen that most of our long-term champions have been pretty exciting i would say even gsp who's not you know he had a bit of a safer style but I thought he was in a lot of fun fights. Yeah, and
1: DJ was always in fun fights. DJ
0: for sure. Yeah. I mean John. It it to me I we haven't really had that. Like I'm trying I'm thinking of like um uh what who was uh the guy that who fought at Welterweight back with like Gsp. He he fought Gsp for the belt at one point, really very boring grappling style. Oh, I can't remember Would've John Fitch. John Fitch. Yeah. John Fitch. Imagine if John Fitch had been champion at the time. If GSP had retired, John Fitch became champion, and he had an extended run. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm thinking of. Like just a, you know, a very good grappler, very good, but not the most exciting to watch. I wonder what that, what kind of fans, what the fan interest would be in that. Um, I don't think it'd be great, but I, it is something I'm, I'm sure at some point we'll see it. We will inevitably, inevitably, excuse me have a champion who has to be less than stellar in terms of excitement.
1: But never loses the belt. Yeah.
0: Like that's just gonna be a that's gonna be an interesting time when that happens for sure. I like that question. Me too. Number seven. Uh-oh. We have to reflect Dominic in this one.
1: Oh shit, yeah. This is the one. <laughs>
0: this is the one you've been the one you've been trying to brainstorm. The next for, two hope. of these are yeah. tough. So We've had a lot of takes on this show, you know. That, that's what we do in our position, Dominic. We're the talking heads. People are about right? to hit
1: the archives now.
0: <laughs> We're the talking heads, you know. You see guys on TV like Stephen A. Smith and um, yeah, Skip Bayless and guys Max. like that, and Max Kellerman, yeah, all of them. And typically, whenever they have a very bad take, whether it's something that they said years ago, you know, they've been on TV for so long that they can't really hide a lot of the bad opinions they've given.
1: No, that's out there.
0: So it, it'll, and they get exposed for it a lot. And I've fallen into the trap too. And look, I say what you will about those guys and how well, they, I don't think they're, uh, the, a lot of the, what they do is just to get those kind of clicks. You know, they, they spout a lot of dumb shit, in my opinion, yeah, just to purposely. get people talking. But at the end of the day, I also think, as an audience, I think you hold these these people that are basically just giving opinions to too high of a standard necessarily. Like, sure, they somebody might predict Steph Curry to be a bust back in two thousand nine, and that is a tough take to have to hold on to. <laughs> yeah, but you know, you could have a reason to think that at the time. You're just wrong, but people will be like, "Oh, he doesn't know anything because he was wrong on that." But the guy who might call you out on that. He could have thought the same thing, but he didn't publicly talk about his opinions like that. So he can pretend like he never did think like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So because of that, we're going to reflect Dominic and we're going to reveal to our audience. What is the worst take we have ever held in MMA? And I want to, you know, we can give one that's been said on the podcast, but I want us to think, you know, of some or a couple or one or whatever, that we said that we had before doing the podcast. And uh, I'm just going to start with the most obvious one for me. Um, this is one I had on the podcast and I fully own up to it. I thought Paulo Costa was going to knock out Israel Adesanya in their title fight, at UFC 253. I know. Hey, I feel like I, mean, I just, I feel like I just admitted that I'm like an alcoholic or something. I just, it's all right.
1: That's the first step to recovery. Yeah. You have to let it out. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: so I, I remember the hype going into that fight. I, I, and I thought it, Adesanya was a great champion. I just thought Paulo Costa had had the speed-power combination to land the right shot to put him away, but couldn't have been more wrong on that one for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, you got to think they were both undefeated going into that fight as well. So, I mean, it's just, at the it's, time, it, it didn't seem as hot, you know?
0: Yeah, we'll see how Paulo's career continues because I think a big thing for him is that he just needs to fight right now. And yeah. for all we know, he'll get in there with Marvin Vittori and – put on like a really good performance and then people will kind of start to forget about the Adesanya fight a little bit, but the longer he goes without fighting, the more I have to hear about how wrong I was for having that opinion. I remember actually, you know, this was early on in our podcast days. This was like a month or month and a half in. And I remember a guy I worked with at my job. um, He put on a story the night that the fight happened. He, I get, he doesn't really like, he's not like a very observant MMA viewer, but apparently he's an Adesanya fan. And uh, he posted like something about, you know, celebrating Adesanya and stuff. So I slid up and I said like, uh, oh yeah, like I really thought Costa was going to be able to win that. I'm like, that was an awesome performance. And He slid up and he's like, he's like, wow. He's like, you know nothing about fighting if you oh. thought Costa was going to win that fight. Dude had no idea that I had a podcast or oh. anything about it. So that one, that was definitely one of those moments where I'm like, am I in the right line of work anymore? Uh, I don't hey, even but know. now
1: look, 141, baby. Come on.
0: No, I no, I mean, uh, come on. I have I have thick skin, Dom. I can, <laughs> I can handle it. It's just, it was so funny to me because I couldn't explain it to him. Yeah. Because I'm like, okay, you're right. Like, I don't know shit about fighting, but I'm like, <laughs> Uh, but what's so funny is that dude had no idea. Might might have no idea that this day I have a legit pot, like an actual podcast about it. That, I'm not saying that means I know anything about fighting. I'm just saying that I don't even think he understood how like passionate I am about it. I guess yeah, is what it is. yeah. He's like, like he because he was like, what a casual. Yeah, I mean, well, he was like he's a guy that like I'd never heard talk about fighting. He's not really into it like that, but loves Adesanya, which. Not, you know, it's not the same as like Connor, so I guess he is maybe, you know, a step up or something, but uh, he feels like you know, he's a casual in the sense of like a lot of the Connor fan base when they come and only watch the Connor fights, yeah, but for Adesanya, which is kind of an interesting one to have that for, but because of that, I got called out by a casual basically as not knowing anything about fighting. That was really funny. What are you gonna do? So that one definitely has stuck with me because of stuff like that.
1: Um. So again, and I promise everyone, I have had a lot of good, but a lot more shit takes. Here, on... Here's the thing.
0: Let me let me give my side for you because you, you're right. You have Dominic is. Known. I'm the king of hot takes. He is known in our parts. You know he ha- he's done a pretty good job of cleaning himself up on the podcast <laughs> or sh- trying to hold himself back, but off-recording, he has given so many takes over the years, both some that have turned out to be really good and some that have been absolute stinkers. Problem is, as we're sitting here recollecting on these, I've been trying to toss them out. I'm like, I'm pretty sure you thought that, and you're like, I don't even remember. I genuinely (laughs) don't remember. That's how many you've given over your course of your tenure so what i'm mm-hmm. going to tell I'm, I'm i'm setting this up because i'm not letting you get away with this okay because dominic's about to give one that is very funny but it makes him look so much better than me and that's why i'm, I'm not help. though
1: i'm so much worse
0: but that's why i'm I'm putting it out there i'm like you know dominic yes. dominic is we're rough riders around here okay? yeah so yeah. go ahead dominic ufc 203
1: and I, I promise, like, if I could reach into my brain and find the one, I, I, I would bring it to the show. Don't doubt it. And, and if it ever clicks, no matter what episode we're recording, I will let it be known on the Below Average Joe's MMA podcast. But mm-hmm. for right now, and it's a funny story UFC 203, Cleveland, Ohio, September 2016, nearly five years ago to the day, almost kind of. We're there in person. Still to this day, also one of the only UFC event we've been to. Hopefully that changes, obviously. But um, we're, we're sitting there, right? And at this time, I'm like definitely the most hardcore fan. It was 2016, Noah had really started getting into it, watching on Fight Pass and everything. Mm-hmm. He just watched his first event live that previous June. So a couple months before we went to this event, we are there with our buddy Tommy and Nick as well. Shout out Tommy and Nick. You know who you are. And so I'm feeling smart, doing a lot of, you know, hey, this person's going to do this, this person's going to do that. And they're like, damn, dude, you should have a podcast. No, I'm just kidding. They didn't say that. <laughs> um, but there was one fight. Prelims, right? Was it prelims?
0: It was the first fight of the main first card. First fight
1: of main card. We have <laughs> Jessica Josh, who at the time had no damn idea how good she would turn out to yeah.
0: be. Very big unknown at the time.
1: Yes, And JoJo Joanne Calderwood, who, at that time, was newer to the UFC, but really looking good against everyone she had been fighting. And I, this is a genuine fact. This was a real stat. I promise I didn't pull this out of my ass. I don't know where I heard it from. I
0: still think it was pulled out of his ass. No, 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 no.
1: I heard it fight week. If I could remember who, I would say. Going into that fight at UFC 203, Joanne Calderwood had never been taken down ever before <laughs> pair that with her great muay thai who which has gotten even better since then and just her well-rounded skill she's a pretty well-rounded gal i look at everyone with me and i'm going this is going to be easy for the the scots woman from scotland joanne calderwood going to be an ass whooping Andraj has no chance it's going to be easy just watch i sit back in the chair all of a sudden i'm talking within seconds it felt like of this fight starting just Kondrach bull rushes across the cage as she, sh- as she is so known to do, takes JoJo down like it was nothing, threw her like a sack of potatoes, then continued to do it over and over and over and dismantled her with ground and pound. Ultimately, submitting first round,
0: her? first round finish, and first that. round
1: finish. I don't remember which way. I think it was, but a Just Kondrach you know. goes on to absolutely destroy Joanne Calderwood, and I just remember vividly sitting there and the three buddies one of them being noah like looking at me from the side i'm like okay don't make eye contact with them just just act like you never said anything and they're just like you're a you're a fucking idiot why do we come to a fight with you and uh then you fast forward and you see what andrage has done she's been a perennial contender in three weight classes she's been the strawweight champion of the world an incredible career and still very young jojo has been much more back and forth in terms of her career path. Still, I have some faith in her to at least make a little bit of noise. It doesn't help Valentina as the champion. But uh, again, it's not like the, the craziest of takes in terms of the biggest name people, but it's one of the most embarrassing moments I've ever had as yeah. an MMA fan. And that the fact that it happened with the three friends that were like looking up to me for all this knowledge, I mean... Utter yes. heartbreak. Is that what was t- I felt. that was a
0: tough blow to your credibility for a while for me. Yes,
1: it was tough.
0: Yeah, they never let that story down.
1: <laughs> nope, never.
0: Uh, another one I thought of: uh, Anderson Silva and Jared Cannonier when they fought at UFC 237. I thought Anderson Silva would win because I didn't really uh, Cannonier was kind of not that high on, and then Cannonier threw like one fucking leg kick and Anderson was done.
1: <laughs> Just craziness.
0: Yeah. Um, I just thought of that. I don't know, but uh, yeah, number eight. We're still reflecting here.
1: This one's a bit easier.
0: Yeah. So instead of going over to takes, this is going to involve how passionate we are about MMA. That means a lot of times, Dominic, you get you get the highs. Sometimes you get the lows. Right. And so we're going to reflect on what our greatest disappointment. Has been, or have I guess, what is the greatest disappointment we have ever been faced with as an MMA fan? And this can be anything a fight, a moment, a career, you know, anything that could lead to some sort of disappointment. What is it for you, Dominic?
1: I have one fight and one moment. Is that fair? Can I, can I do that?
0: Yeah, you can do whatever you want.
1: Okay, cool. So I'm going to go with the fight first because it might be kind of more obvious if you know us, yeah, the yeah. Ohio Boys.
0: I shouldn't let you go first sometimes.
1: I know. Well, I should (laughs) have done the moment first, but it's too late now. There's no going back. This is out there forever. It's not like we can edit this or anything. Anyway, so, um, again, it may be obvious. We've discussed it before, that thrill and the agony type of stuff that really hits deep. And this is very agonizing. And it was when Steve Hamiocic was at one point on top of the world and the heavyweight division was coming off of his third straight title defense, had broken the record for most title defenses in the heavyweight division, Going into that fight with DC, I remember, and shit, this could actually be kind of a hot take going back to number seven. I'll kind of coincide him. But I remember sitting there that night thinking, there's no way is going to lose this. There's no way. I felt so confident going into that fight. I was barely nervous. Now, every time I watch Stipe fight, I'm nervous as shit. But that one, I was so confident he was going to beat Daniel Cormier and defend for the fourth time. My uncle was there watching with us. I'm like, yeah, dude, this is our guy. OHIO, baby. Gets knocked out in the first round. I remember sitting in that recliner. Rest in peace to that leather recliner that's no longer mm-hmm. with us.
0: Oh, really, man? Yeah. And the
1: disgust, the sadness, genuine watery teary eyes, <laughs> sitting in silence, thinking, "What just happened?" Do you I remember mean, I was
0: that we watched that together.
1: Yes, you were there. Yeah. And I feel like you felt the same way.
0: Yeah, and it didn't help that our uh, buddies uh were Let especially tommy oh yes god.
1: i remember that i'm like dude, dude he
0: made me so angry i remember now he was is like not the time he was like steve bay fucking sucks and i'm like oh my god i'm gonna throw up i'm gonna throw up
1: <laughs> all over the basement yeah. um and that was just that's literally in terms of fights that's what that's the most heartbreak i've ever felt watching any mma so, fight ever. so i'm
0: a little surprised i thought uh, and i know you're maybe i know we've answered a lot of anderson Silva on here but <laughs> Is that really more than him and Chris Weidman, or was that during a time when you weren't as into – because I know UFC for you, you've been kind of around it for so long, I'm sure it's had its peaks and valleys in terms of your interest.
1: You want to know the main difference? I'm glad you asked that question. What's that? As much as I hate to say this, in that fight, Anderson got what was coming because he was taunting – and left that chin wide open for the taking and being little Dom. I remember watching that fight. Like, What's he doing? No, no, put the chin down. <laughs> and then Chris Widen, boop. And Anderson just folds like a lawn chair. Yeah, I'm like, little bloop. Uh, So that's the difference. That really is because mm. Anderson was kind of asking for it in a way. Steve I thought was winning that first round. It was a great round with DC. But then yeah. out of nowhere, with what, 20 seconds left in the round? That didn't make it any better. <laughs> and he's out cold. Um, And then a moment, I'll just go boom, boom, and then I'll let you go. This might be something fun. UFC 203, again, let's take a little flashback, a little ride back again, two times in a row. We met a lot of fighters at the UFC fan experience. Blast, one of the best moments of my life, hands down. Autographs, all the fun stuff. Cowboy Cerrone, Forrest Griffin, Matt Brown, Cody Garbrandt. Before Cody won the belt against Dominic Cruz, by the way, just saying. But there was one fighter, though, that we were in line to meet. And then a storm starts a-brewing, and it rolls in the wind. You hear the whistling in the air, and the rain starts coming in, the thunder. We were in line to meet, at the time, still a pretty big deal. And he's still a deal, but not as big. Anthony Showtime Pettis, he was the final fighter to meet at the fan experience with plenty of time to spare before the prelims kicked off, and they canceled it. They shut it down. They said, everybody go inside. Meanwhile, we're like, I don't know, 10 people away from meeting Anthony Pettis. We're like, no, this is the last one. It's like that boss level. You're getting ready to beat Mm -hmm. the game. And we didn't get to meet Anthony Pettis. So personally, from like a moment in time, being a fan, uh, not watching a fight specifically, that was very disappointing, especially being it was our first UFC event. It was damn near perfect. but There was one moment that kept it from being 100 out of 100. We got stopped from meeting anthony showtime pettis
0: i am shocked that that is what you went with i really didn't know that that day i didn't know that that stuff had that big of an impact on you because i enjoyed i mean i enjoyed meeting the fighters and everything but uh you know even in hindsight like i know at the time i'm a bigger fan now and have a greater understanding of those guys impact now and it's really cool to meet them but at the end of the day like i don't know it's just eh, it, it it's fine. Like it was cool, really cool. But like I don't know. In terms of like, you know, the greatest disappointment, I was just kind of kind of like, uh, well, that sucks that we don't get the media. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh um, for me, this one this one is more recent. This is gonna be uh UFC two forty nine, what could have been the original UFC two forty nine? Oh, the boy. fifth time. That Habib and Tony Ferguson had been rebooked. This event, I was so excited for it going into 2020. This was on my radar. You know, this was the fight that had escaped us MMA fans forever, it appeared. And I was like, there is no way that this fight is going to fall through a fifth time. Everything that could have possibly been thrown at this fight had already been done. <laughs> Tony tripping over to cable. Yeah. I mean, everything, the, Tiramisu, all this shit. I mean, yeah. it, it had all been thrown at this fight. I said, now we finally get to see who, mano who the best fighter in the lightweight division is. Wee- except <laughs> the, the Earth decided <laughs> yeah. to have a full-on pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. UFC 249 kind of got canceled and then ultimately kind of got put together a few weeks later. But um, this this card got canceled uh, due to COVID-19. Um, we didn't really know if it was going to get canceled right away. Dana really tried to make it happen. He ultimately got talked down by, I believe, people at Disney or ESPN. Yeah, um, yeah. They, they they talked him down a little bit. I mean, he was ready to go on Indian burial grounds and or at casinos, I should say. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just... <laughs> Well, you know what I mean. Just in in that kind of area. Um, But, uh, yeah, he was ready to go where they basically could, I I believe, could go without the kind of state supervision or something. I don't know how it was working. But the fight falls through. And (laughs) to to paint the picture even better, you know, because this happened, I believe, a couple weeks into quarantine because –
1: Oh, yeah, I forgot.
0: Because – again dana was trying to hold this card together yeah so quarantine happens or covid-19 happens and i and i've told this on a previous episode i remember the day after what was called fake patty's day uh, that's a thing that a lot of colleges do whenever their spring breaks overlap with st patrick's day yep um the saturday i i think it was before St. Patrick's Day becomes fake Patrick's Day or fake Patty's Day. Oh, and basically and the bars of Bowling Green and all the, for you know, Greek life and all that, they all just celebrate as if it's St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, So we had that um, on a Saturday and I remember waking up Sunday and a few of my friends were out on the porch and I go out there and I'm just, you know, trying to recover, drink mm-hmm. some water, you know. And someone's like, did you not hear Ohio State just got put online the rest of the semester? And, like, we had heard a little bit about COVID-19, but, like, it just kind of came out of nowhere. It felt like that all of a sudden we were being moved online. So I'm like, oh, no shit. Well, I worked for the university at the time. I was working two jobs at the time, one of which worked for the university. I was a desk manager, so the front desk workers that you're – for any of you that went to college, at your dorms, um, in the buildings, those front desk workers, I managed them. Um, so I, I did that as one of my jobs. I was like my day job. And then third shift, I was FedEx as a package handler. I could handle a package really well. So I've been told I won Daniel. package handler of the month for June.
1: Why am I just now figuring this out?
0: You didn't know Why? I won package handler of the month for June I did June not. I'm, I'm so 2019? proud of team. I'm Thank so you. proud of you. I still have the the certificate.
1: Can we put that in the
0: background going forward of the show? <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's actually at it's actually at the house I don't live at anymore. It's at <laughs> oh. Mandel, okay. Okay. So I will have to get it from them. But uh, yeah. So point being, I had two jobs, and when the when everything first happened, like I still kind of had my jobs, but it was like up in the air. The university job, for example, I remember that. Friday, so Sunday happens where we get told Ohio State's online. That's the last week of school that Monday through Friday after is the last week we're in classes before spring break. Yep. So there's a lot up in the air. That Friday, I believe, is when they announced that we'll be moved online for I think at the time it was like two weeks or something like that or a week or after spring break. So as of then, I still have a job technically because it just means that I'm going to be without doing that job for a couple extra weeks. Because obviously, if no students come back to the dorms, that means there's no need for desk clerks to be there, which means I have nobody to manage. Therefore, I have no job. Yes. Um, At the same time, I had kind of an agreement going with my manager at FedEx to work part time there. That's not really something they do, but I was able to work it out with my manager to where I didn't have to be there um, full-time. Well, COVID happens, and that kind of gets thrown out the window too because then they have to crack down on the hours. They have to make sure everybody who's there is working 40 hours a week. So basically the same week, I find out that I either have to work full-time at FedEx. Actually, I remember that call came to me first they were like, "Hey, we have to let you know that unless you can work forty hours a week, uh, we can't keep you on here." And I, and me being dumb, assuming I still have my campus job, tell them, "Thanks, but no thanks," because I kind of hated working there. Very physically demanding, you know. And just I was like, "You know what? I'll be all right." So I quit. Basically, got quit. You know, kind of that job because it basically my agreement got thrown out the window couple days later my boss at the university tells me uh, you will no longer be needed um and and you oh, bg is being moved online the rest of the school year i'm like oh okay well i have no jobs but thank god this saturday ufc 249 is coming out and i have just enough money to buy that pay-per-view to get me a pizza and just enjoy it yes Except hmm. no, except Habib travels back to Russia. And obviously the fight ends up not being able to take place.
1: That's Let me tell week. you
0: people, that was a doozy of a week. That's a dark time in the uh, Baker household. Ooh, tough week. So uh, that by far has got to be the greatest disappointment I've ever faced. Considering the personal Uh, struggles that i was going through at the time as well but everything has a silver lining it all worked out pandemic kind of is what put this podcast into existence so we got stuff to be thankful for but that was a i think it's funny to look at that story just like oh well at least i still have my big fight that i've been waiting for forever and then dana's like well actually uh, sorry no (laughs) but uh regardless number nine
1: Oh, we're getting close.
0: Talking about Dana White's Contender series. Oh,
1: you've got my interest.
0: <laughs> Dominic's been a long long-standing fan of the show. I've really grown to love it too. I became, or I guess I've became an avid watcher more recently. Uh last season I wasn't able to really watch cuz of my job. Before that, I just never really was watching all that much. I watched an episode here or there, but um this season I've been like Every week I'm watching, you gotta see the up-and-coming talent.
1: Oh, of course.
0: And we've had this show on for I think four years now. Well, it's season five, so I guess five years now going on. It's crazy, isn't it? Sure. Yeah. Um, I think it started in 2017. I don't remember. Yeah. But um so. because of that, we've had a lot of time now, you know, a good amount of time for these fighters to come and make impacts on the promotion after being signed. So, Dominic, based on the fighters who have appeared on Dana White's contender series. Predict the first champion to come from the show. And, man, this was difficult. So Put the hard. list together. People, if, if you have the time to look up a lot of the fighters that earned contracts from the show or even just fought on the show and had somehow made their way to the UFC later, you have so many guys that are kind of in this group of, like, middle contenders, like yeah. guys that could, you know, make, make a run and become a champion, and then you got, you know, some prospects. So there's a lot of projection in this question. I'm going to go with my answer first. Okay. And I think the best – truthfully, I'm not sure if we've seen it yet. I uh, Yeah. And I so badly want to go with Albert Duryev from uh, last Tuesday. Yep. But I'm not going to because that, that he is going to have a, a climb to make. I'm ultimately going to go with the women's strawweight Marina Rodriguez. Yeah,
1: I mean, that's she incredible. has
0: the most realistic path right now, arguably, only has to win one fight before she gets a title fight, but it's against Mackenzie Dern, who t- I probably don't even favor her in that matchup. But if she does win that matchup, I do like her chances against either Carlos Barza in a rematch or Rose Namajunas, the champion. I think she holds up very well in both of those. Um, I just a lot of it for Carla, you know, has Marina's grappling defense gotten good enough to where she can, you know, stay on her feet long enough to win rounds. I think she kind of proved with the Michelle Waterson fight that she has at least made an effort, but Carla is definitely a better grappler than Waterson, so we'll yeah. still see. And then the striking matchup for her and Rose, you know, Rose is probably a smarter fighter, but Marina, I think, just has more talent. You can't sleep on her skills. Yeah, her, her skills on the feet are just more advanced, but Rose is just a higher IQ fighter and has more of a killer instinct. So um a lot of intangibles for Rose, but I I, I like Marina's actual abilities, how they stack up with Rose in that contest.
1: So I went back and forth. I mean, I love so many fighters that have came from this. But again, when you look at realistically in terms of who's going to get there first, who has the best chances to as many people as I want to say to be fun, I will kind of stick with someone. Well, actually I'm sticking with the only contender series alum who has fought for a title thus far, that being flyweight, Mr. Alex Perez. Uh, I think again, he's top four right now. He's getting ready to fight Matt Schnell. Hopefully it doesn't fall through for a fifth time. Uh, December 11th, but what's interesting is again I think that's a winnable fight. He stays in the top of the heap. I still think he needs one more. Figueredo is obviously who he lost the title shot to, but now Moreno's the champion. And not that I don't think Moreno can be a long-standing champion. I think that Perez is just a very well-rounded fighter. He has great grappling, strong leg kicks and calf kicks. He's good mm-hmm. enough on the feet to compete with a guy like Moreno should they meet for a title fight. So I think that is a fantastic matchup between those two. But also, I want to point out something that Noah said on uh, Monday's episode. And it's the fact that this fight with him and Matt Schnell seemingly got moved from December 4th to December 11th for no reason whatsoever. Other than the fact that maybe, just maybe, Mm -hmm. they're keeping those two guys sidelined in case something goes down between Moreno and Figueredo. And hey, you know who's had troubles cutting weight before? Davis and Figueredo. You know who hasn't fought Brandon Moreno before? Alex Perez. Mm -hmm. So I'm just saying, I don't want that to happen. I want the trilogy, and I think Perez and Matt Schnell's a fantastic fight as well. I think that's a really fun fight that a lot of people are going to sleep on. But I do, just realistically, he's the closest, not only rankings-wise, but skill set and how he matches up with these top-level contenders, considering he's in there. I think he is a very good fighter. Still very young into the game. Relatively green to be a top-five guy. I think he has a lot of progression still to be made, so I'll go Alex Perez.
0: Son of a bitch, you <laughs> used my own words against me from Friday, but now that's uh, it's good. No, that's. I figured uh, you'd
1: enjoy that little part of it.
0: Yeah, that's a good. Does that's, that's definitely? I I think those two are the front runners. Yeah, uh, I want to believe Sean O'Malley can get there, but then, you know, he's moving along slowly. But yeah. the bigger thing is, he seems so. Kind Of he's him and the UFC are kind of growing to have a slightly contentious relationship, and, a little bit. And uh, he's been talking about some free agency testing the market. You know, is this all just talk for negotiation? Probably, but
1: well, I mean, look okay. at his division, but yeah, I mean, I'm that's true too. To the, the division,
0: the... <laughs> I, I still think though that he does have like the highest ceiling of anybody who's came from the show, yeah, probably. that's a good way to put it. But it, will he ever reach that, or will he at least reach that as quickly, I guess, as? Maybe someone else here could become champion. That's to tough be to be determined. Tough to tell. Um, last one, number ten. This one doesn't even involve MMA. It involves the other part of doing this, and that's that. It's a podcast. We just sit and, and I just and I thought it would be fun, Dominic. I saw one of these little podcast twitters you follow, or that the below average Joe's follow. Yeah,
1: that week. Come on. Yeah, whatever.
0: Um, And they said that what is your favorite and least favorite part of doing a podcast? So Dominic, we've done this over a year now. We've done it in person for the majority of the time where it was me and you side by side with one microphone in front of us doing an audio podcast. But then for the last few months, and even though it kind of feels like it's even been longer than the audio, but for just the last few months we have added audio or video um, we've become remote where you're two and a half hours away from me. So we have done this different ways. We've tested out a lot of different formats. We've went through a lot of different, I guess, audio and video video uh, formatting, everything you can think of. We've, we have tried out a lot of different things for the podcast. So there's a lot that we could give here. I'm going to give my positive, my favorite thing first. And that's just having the, the outlet. Yeah. I love, we love, we talk about MMA so much. Um, at the end of the day, while I appreciate anybody that listens or watches the show, I don't really need it. I just like to be able to talk about my thoughts with Dominic and uh, we post it. And ultimately, we if people want to listen to us and give their thoughts too, that's awesome. If not, I can always have something to go back to and watch back and listen back. and Be like, wow, man, look at us talking about yeah. this. And then it ended up happening and stuff like that. So having that kind of outlet, that creative outlet, as I mentioned, you know, I'm not, I don't have like this hidden talent, you know, I'm not a musician. I'm not an artist. I just, I'm really I'm pretty good at talking and I love MMA. Yeah. So combining the two just is, is a natural fit for me. And I, I just really enjoy doing it. And I do appreciate all the support and all the love and that's made it I think that's validated things a little bit, Yeah. you know, even though we're still got a long ways to go in terms of growth, but you know, for people, those, those comments we do get every now and then that tell us, you know, that we're doing something right or even how if to say involved.
1: someone's name the right way. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> um, it just, it validates things to make it feel like, okay, we, we, we know what we're doing here. We're doing a pretty good job.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a hundred percent, essentially what it is for me as well. And I'll just kind of try to word it a little differently, but, you know, I wish I could be a fly on the wall for some of those conversations, long, late conversations mm-hmm. of what we used to have, you know, at B-dubs, in the apartments and uh, all in that the dorms stuff. in the dorms. God, I mean, gosh, we're old, aren't we? We yeah. were in dorms five years ago yeah. anyway. But, um, yeah, man, it's just the fact that I get to do it with one of my absolute best friends right here in mm-hmm. Noah Baker, something that we're so passionate about and love. And that we've, we we have try and garner more knowledge as the time goes. And we have. I mean, God, go listen to episode one and where we are now, episode 141. And just the fact that, again, I don't care if there's one viewer, one listener, or we have a 100,000 subscribers. The fact that we can sit here for, I mean, shit, we're going on two hours for this one. <laughs> and just cut the breeze, have discussions about what we want to talk about and hope that people will find it interesting and support and listen to as well. And, uh, and, again, that's just su- such a blast to me to just sit here, forget everything else kind of going on, lock in, dial in, and just have a chit-chat. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an absolute blast. I'm so happy that we started this last year. It is kind of that silver lining in such a crazy year that was 2020. We came out with this podcast, and we've had so much fun. Great feedback so far, a lot more to go. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the outlet to just speak on something we love with no repercussions right we don't care mm-hmm. what anybody thinks we're having fun doing it and that's what matters most i'm a big advocate of loving what you do and this is example number one of that so mm-hmm.
0: segue it into your least favorite part because this is the hard part right having <sighs> okay. a least favorite part it's the it both is but i feel like based on i'm gonna let you take the obvious one here um based on that i think it's also the easiest part to name but it's hard to it's hard to be like critical of what, of something we love so much, you know?
1: You know what? I'm not going to go with the obvious one that you think I was going to go with.
0: Oh, well, I'm not going with it either. So I'm, I guess so, neither of us are gonna, well, we'll, we'll talk about it, but yeah, go ahead.
1: Um, I was going to go with something obvious that a lot of people would probably, you know, think, especially if you've seen some of the episodes, I mean, you guys kind of know what we go with, we, we go with the flow, but sometimes there's stuff that pops up. But you know what? The more and more it dawns on me. And as much as I love doing this format, it's incredible. The hardest thing or kind of the worst thing right now is still, you know, we had a blast sitting right there at the at the uh, bar with the one mic between us. And I do miss it. Now, that's the mm-hmm. worst part to me right now, not being together. And while we do get to see each other now way better than when we would have audio but couldn't see each other, that was just that's tough. <laughs> but this where we can interact and still see each other's facial reactions, stuff is awesome but there was something about being within each other's presence and just making the moment so much more fun. I mean, you can go see some of the clips we've had of just dying laughing. So just kind of that rapport is so great that we have now, but it's even more solid in person. And so golly Jeepers one day, if we ever have a big red, yellow and black studio decked out (laughs) with our gear and we're in there together, that'll be the all encompassing moment.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's a good one. Uh, the obvious one is the, the fact that we both have shit internet. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> so of course. so we have had a lot of problems with having to, you know, shout out Spectrum, uh, go yeah. fuck yourself. But um, uh, <laughs> we are not they, sponsored. by. <laughs> <laughs> no, we are not. And we will never be. And uh, as long as I'm here, we will not be because their internet is garbage. And um, me and Dominic have both had to uh, face that head on. We probably had to we, you guys have probably seen it a couple times. We've had to splice multiple recordings in and stuff. And you know, wow. that's, that's, that's a bit of the frustrating part. Yeah. Even on today's episode, it felt like for a while, like I'm like, and hopefully on the actual episode, this it isn't noticeable, yeah. <laughs> but I, while we're going Dominic's mouth and face and his, his body is moving slower or like it's, it's delayed from his what his words are so i'm hearing the words uh, at the at a normal rate but his actual body was moving a little bit slower so stuff like that makes it i think that goes hand in hand with what you're talking about yeah. um where it makes it a little harder if we're not together to kind of genuinely like flow. immediately go flow on one another's like movement or what they yeah. say because there's always that slight hiccup here or there or something yeah. You know, maybe I'll end up accidentally cutting you off, or you'll cut me off. And it's like <laughs> oh we both stop. <laughs> me it's cut like, oh. you
1: off. Come on. <laughs> Come on. <laughs>
0: but actually, I'm gonna go with a different one. Only and again, it's not this this is when I'm at least favorite. More so it's grown on me a lot. This is why I want to talk about it, because I think it could be maybe enlightening to someone else who may uh, have a podcast or eventually have one. Um doing a video podcast is definitely a challenge yeah it's
1: um, a big and step. while i
0: while i fully and i even from day 1 i have fully said and i stand by it that it is good for us dominic you know had to really kind of push for it but i still fully believe like obvious good step to take for us in terms of long term potential mm-hmm. growth all that but it was such a challenge for it me was. early on and it still is at times today it 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 is not as easy it is a lot harder to go from um just talking into a microphone or into a phone or whatever and not having to really worry about what i looked like or what i what my you know head was doing if i'm looking into the camera whatever versus now you have to think about those things you have to position yourself into a webcam correctly. And now you do have a balancing with audio and video. So, you know, if the internet is bad, sometimes the audio might sound good on the recording, but the video might be delayed and like we're talking about. So it it adds another some more hoops sometimes. But um, at the end of the day, like, I think I've also, it's also helped me a lot to get more comfortable in front of a camera. That's something else I've always I, or I didn't really realize I had, but I think that was part of what held me back from committing to it. Like Dominic was so ready to do was that I just don't feel comfortable in front of a camera. And I think by now I just, it, it's just normal. It's normal.
1: I mean, no. look at this handsome son of a bitch right here. Are <laughs> I'm you just kidding me.
0: I'm just saying that like, it, you know, it, it took a while for me to feel, and maybe you could even tell, if you go watch episode 100, 101, you know, those are good episodes, but, there probably is some of that where I'm maybe at times I'm not even listening to Dominic. I'm looking at myself in the camera, like, oh, does my hair look okay? Do I look okay? You know, I don't, I'm not usually like that, you know, in my day to day life, but on camera, just something that kind of sneaks up on you a little bit. Um, we still have a ways to go. Um, you know, we're still figuring things out. Like I noticed we look at each other. Like you notice that. Dom? Yeah, yeah. yeah, And I like it that way. I prefer it that way, but a lot of podcasts, a lot of shows, they look into the webcam <laughs> yeah. like I'm doing right now. Yeah. And I just don't, I don't, I can't do that yet. I'm not ready for that step. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like looking at you and it's like a conversation. Yeah. Rather than looking at the webcam. <laughs> yeah. So um that's just one of the things though, that uh, some people could uh-huh. potentially, pop my mic, Uh, and bumping the mic (laughs) but uh overall i do love it at this point i mean it's it it is it has definitely become something i feel very strongly about that you know while do you have to have the video version of this podcast no but it's you know i feel that we at this point you know you have the clean format that you're looking at and everything and um you know there's something to be said about the watching two handsome son of a bitches talk about MMA rather than just listen to our sexy voices, right?
1: Yeah, and it kind of plays into, you know, the overall of building that community and, you know, not that listeners and viewers know us, but they get a little sense of how mm-hmm. we act and what we're like kind of deal. So just kind of, I, I move with my hands and do a lot of mechanisms and stuff. So <laughs> it's just kind of the way we are as people. And, you know, on your point, and I respect you for saying that, it's just like part of this was getting out of the comfort zone And just not caring and wanting to do Mm -hmm. something that we wanted to do regardless of anyone or anything else. And uh, that's been, again, one of the best parts that might be the best part is just saying, stepping out of comfort zone, doing what you want to do people.
0: Yeah. I think that's even another thing that I was kind of scared of was putting my face out there to, you know, strangers on the internet, not even just (laughs) about like, Oh, how I look. It's just When you're committing to a lot of, you know, as we hopefully grow into a bigger podcast, you will get people that won't like what we say sometimes. Room for judgment. Room for judgment, sure. But, you know, there's something to be said that uh, this is, again, it's something I think about at the time when we're talking about making a video podcast. I understand we may never actually run into this. I don't want to sound like I'm expecting that. But I, I think very long term sometimes the idea that we might be out in public and someone could see us and recognize us for doing this podcast. And if it's someone who doesn't like something we said, that could be a contentious uh, discussion. And you know, that's just stuff that you kind of have to blow past because ultimately the value that comes in doing it this way and doing what we do, it's worth any sort of bullshit like that, that could possibly come across. So, Just wanted to put it out there in case anybody has any similar holdbacks to committing to video podcasts or committing to doing podcasts in general. Take the leap. You won't know where you'll land, but I think you'll be happy with where you go. Well said. That's going to wrap it up. This very long edition of the Reddit Roundtable you know what that was some quality ass discussion so i feel like we i'm gonna to say a it. rogan show. leave a motherfucking like on the video share with share, share this it. yeah yeah do all that shit man we earned it this fucking episode what baby.
1: a yeah this was great yeah. loved it but uh,
0: appreciate anybody listening and uh up especially this, this long into <laughs> but uh friday we'll be coming at you with a weekend preview all about ufc 266 it goes down Volkanovsky Ortega. Check out on Twitter. Dominic will be sharing and below average Joe's Twitter and my Twitter as well. We'll be oh. sharing Dominic's article for Overtime Heroics. He goes in depth oh. on this fight. Ooh. So it, it'll be a nice companion piece to his thoughts in the actual episode. Yeah. But um yeah, until then, Dominic, tell the good people where they can find you on social media.
1: On Twitter, on Instagram. At Deasley fourteen. More importantly, go follow, go engage, go interact with the podcast on Twitter on Instagram at BAJ underscore MMA podcast.
0: For me, if you go to my bio on Twitter or Instagram at NT Baker underscore, you'll be taken to a link to the link tree, yeah, which provides you with a list of links.
1: I would have never guessed,
0: and. They include but are not limited to, but kind of are mm. the Twitter, the Instagram, the YouTube channel, and Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcast. It's all on there, baby. And there's a couple links for today's sponsor, Anchor. There we go. Shout out. Leaving a voice message. You want to take this one? Fucking do it. <laughs> Do it.
1: We do label these as explicit. I am allowed to say that, mom. Okay,
0: do it. And there's a link if you want to become a supporter of the podcast that just provides us with a few dollars a month. All that money goes back into improving the quality of the podcast, but or
1: upgrading, honestly.
0: Honestly, yeah. Like, I mean, at this point. I don't even know how we can improve this thing. We're so damn good. But uh, that's now it. That's
1: some tooting of the horn I like. <laughs>
0: oh, wait. But, again, you can find all that in my bio on Twitter, Instagram, at yeah. baker underscore. Yeah. But that's yeah. it. We're out. Yeah. Yep. See you all on Friday.
1: All right. Okay. See you then. Okay. <laughs>